Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. So hi, Jim. Thanks for calling in on this icy day. Sure, Tara. My pleasure. So is it is it um, sleeting by you or just raining? Um, real cold rain, but I, I look at it and you kind of never know. I'm in Waterloo, right? Wisconsin, out on the on on our little eight point six you know acres and of heaven, and you know the back roads sometimes they just lead up to ice up a little quicker than everything else. So um, you just never know, right? Right. Well, I'm glad that we could do this with you calling in because um, that way we can keep the show going, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think the best way to start this, you and I have known each other for a really long time, but our listeners probably don't know you at all. So I think the best way to start this would be to just have you um, introduce yourself and try to tell the story of how you got into doing what you do with egg and food. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, I have my own very small consulting firm, James uh Consulting. Um, I have a couple of other folks that help me um, write grants or do studies, but I don't have any employees. Um, we're just... Uh, four or five people together that uh, try to solve problems. Um, I got into the, the ag part of it. Um, I was a political science major in college, but the ag part of it came from originally from Peace Corps um, in Africa, West Africa, um, as an extension agent. And we kind of loved the work. Um, you know, it was... What crops together. were you doing? Um, we were doing rice at the time, oh. but... If you were doing rice on the Senegal River, that meant that you were doing vegetables, and you were also constructing certain kind of canals. You were constructing buildings, and you know you were talking two or three languages. And all of a sudden, versus what I thought agriculture was, which was sort of just digging in the dirt and weeding and picking up rocks. And I grew up in New York, and there was a lot of rock, a lot of rock that. farming, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Agriculture was pretty exciting, and I, I was fortunate enough uh, when I was at, in Mauritania, peaceful Mauritania, that the, one of the people on a U.S. Uh, agency for international development project became uh, the chairman of the horticulture department at University of Maryland, and so he invited me in to, to become a, uh, a graduate student. I had to make up some classes, um, but uh, ended up getting a horticulture and plant physiology degree, and got it really um, as a colleague, because I was an older student, mm-hmm. got it as a colleague with some of the, the uh, uh, some of the younger professors, and really had a, a great time, you know, learning about, you know, hypotheses and, and um, uh, research writing and all that really, really good stuff. Um, I was hired at State University of Maryland, at the International Development Management Center, which was um, a center that worldwide um, assisted in um, information technology, natural resources, and agriculture. 
I stayed there for five years. Um, in, in that center, and then when I came to University of Wisconsin, um, university centers, you had to do a lot of writing, a, a lot of grant writing, um, a, a lot of advising, um, and uh, you had to, whether it was with World Bank, with the United States Agency for International Development, or uh, the U.S. DA, you were always writing proposals. And grant writing is a little bit different, and I really cut my teeth during the 12 years that I was part of academe um, as a grant writer and, mm. you know, kind of learned how to do that. Um, my wife from Wisconsin, and eventually we kind of knew we'd come back to Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were doing some work uh, when I was in Maryland with the Land Tenure Center, which uh, was a pretty famous uh, center until it um, unfortunately went out of existence a few years ago, but did a lot of great work in the 70s and 80s and 90s. I was fortunate enough to work uh, with the center for three, four years. Um, and did a lot of work in, in Africa. Again, um, a lot of uh, writing and working with graduate students, working in teams, um, a lot of both natural resources and, and agriculture types of things. Um, Sarah, this is kind of interesting. This, that was the first time I came across the word sustainability. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a couple of folks, uh, both in... Um, in my place, uh, in the uh, Center, and then elsewhere, that we're talking about financial sustainability, agricultural sustainability. And it's, it's just funny if you hear folks use sustainability like it's a new word. But right. it's been around for a while. Right. It's been around for a long time. Yeah. I, yeah. Didn't, I didn't know you did work with the Land Tenure Center. That's mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then you ended up, where did you end up? There was another. Well, I ended up at the um, environmental remote sensing. That's right, remote sensing. So, um, and this was a NASA project that looked at um, how remote sensing and GPS and GIS, these were technologies in their infancy, um, could be used for applications, whether it was agriculture, natural resources, transportation, um, health kinds of things. Some really neat stuff was happening as, um, for the first time, the United States and Europe were sending up satellites that were um, getting some really, really high-resolution data, and we were developing computers that had, you know, finally some really good computational power. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, this is the dawn of, everybody has a GPS now. This was the dawn of GPS. Right. This is folks still tracing out roads, um, you know, on paper maps and then making sure that they were geocoded so that mm. they were accurate. It was really interesting, interesting time. I had great fun with uh, a lot of the scientists there. And, um, the, the, again, the scientific pieces um, has, have always fascinated me. And, you know, in the writing that I've done. Right. So those technologies now have got to be coming. It's ironic, right? Because I think that right now is the time when I run into companies that are trying to use some of those technologies for farm level kinds of products, right? 
innovation right. at the farm level. And and that was it's taken what fifteen years to get from the theoretical stuff that you were doing to where we're we have, you know, robots and drones on farms right now. Right. Well a part of it we had planes go up and have a you know, differential um, uh, infrared uh, types of cameras mm-hmm. that were seeing things that were happening and um, you know there was some, some really good stuff that was that was happening but you know because you didn't have the computing power you know you couldn't do it instantaneously and so I think a lot of the work there that we ended up doing was kind of post-mortem analysis mm. so there's three four years uh, three four months later uh, maybe December or January we're saying, ooh, you know what? Boy, you should have, you know, been careful in that soybean field right there in September. Right. So, so it's too late because yeah, of the computing right. power. Wow. Yeah, but now with the drones, but with the the onboard CIS and CPS systems, you know, you look at what um, a lot of farmers are doing, and you know, almost self-driven combine and understanding of exactly where things are happening in their field. And, you know, they can go and look at specific fertilization and, and other kinds of things for next year's crop. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of out of that. And some really great folks, too. That project, um, it was the Environmental Remote Sensing Center, but it was the Institute for... Um, uh, environmental studies, I, I, I yeah. Mm, right, so, sure. So, you know, one of good friends there who, um, continues to, right, continue to run into every once in a while is Stephen Chura, mm-hmm. uh, who now I, you know, work with his wife, Margaret Chrome, uh, because she works with Michael Field. And, and so just, uh, you know, starting to meet the, the really, um, good thinkers also of the university, which was kind of neat too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and then yeah. it was the next thing was the Dairy Business Innovation Center. Is that right? Because that's where it I took, met you. Well, it took it took me a, a, a year. I kind of left the university and was looking for something else to do. was doing some consulting. And uh, since we got to Waterloo, we have been friends with the, the Cray Brothers here in Waterloo. Mm-hmm. Um, famous for the Cray Brothers cheese. And especially George and Debbie Craves, who kind of lead the, um, the the cheese part of the business. But the whole family is just really wonderful folks and thinkers and innovators. And um, at the time, um, Debbie says there was a, a, a grant um, out of the Department of Agriculture called the Agricultural Diversification and Development Grant, ADD. Mm-hmm. And said, can, we, can you help us write this thing? Uh, because we've never written a grant before. They were looking at, you know, they, they, they've always done their fresh mozzarella and some other things, but they were at that time looking at um, an aging program. This is before, you know, you remember 2004, 2005. Right. People were aging cheeses. No, that was a so big deal. Maybe maybe Uplands uh, was mm-hmm. cheese. And, uh, well, and especially... Not too many. Yeah, and especially farms. I mean, you know, like somebody like Belgioso or White Clover, we were aging cheese for a long time, but, you know, not farmstead. We didn't even have a lot of farmstead cheeses. Right, right. 
Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it wasn't until what we're about to talk about happened. Right. And, and so I helped them write the grant, and two days later, uh, again, a, a colleague of ours, Will Hughes, Mm-hmm. The Department of Agriculture gave me a call and said, who are you? Mm-hmm. Because this was a pretty good grant. And right. We need people like you to come and work with the Dairy Business Innovation Center. Mm-hmm. I explained what that was, introduced me to a, a number of people that were just starting the center, it, it, including Dan Carter, the, the founder who just passed away, was a great uh, person for, for this state for many, 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 many. Right. Dan had the vision to put, uh, I guess there's about 20 or 25 of us consultant types at at, um, any one time, Mm -hmm. and probably eight to ten that capped people within all the supporting organizations um, working together on a, you know, if a farm would come in or a small business would come in and say, we have a, a, a need, whether it was we'd like to, as a farm, start a, a little cheese plant or a little ice cream plant on our farm. Hell, what will we do? And it was, you know, three or four of us or eight or ten of us around the table, you know, creating these six to 12 month mini projects to take them from usually it was, you know, A, B, C, and D. It wasn't you know, the, you know, A to Z, but it got them started in, in ways that they could have never started out. And, you know, Tara, you know, the, the folks that we had, and, you know, we, we, had, <laughs> we had some personalities, <laughs> um, including you and I, but we had some personalities that had some exceptional skills. And whether it was, you know, folks who knew about cheese plants or knew about, uh, you know, technically making certain kinds of value-added products or, you know, the business sense of it. It was, uh, it, it was a great organization. Um, you know, I, I, I got, I don't know if it's a, kind of a, a pleasure or a curse, but um, Dan Carter fell ill and he asked me to, to be the, the director of, EBIC for about three years, which gave me uh, another look behind the curtain of, you know, how to run these kinds of organizations, um, but also the need of, you know, the, 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 the agriculture community as it was looking at innovation and looking at really transformative um, types of things, because you know, we had we had folks who, you know, you would have never guessed it, but two years later, they were talking the talk and walking the walk as far as running small businesses. Yeah. It yeah, it, it was an amazing thing. And I think the, um, you know, we it's the envy, it was the envy of um, most other states in the country. And I do credit the DBIC with having really propelled our transition in our dairy industry here from being... You know, when I first started, I mean, wrap, dipping cheddar cheese in red wax was specialty right. cheese, right? right. And right. and and coming out of that, man, I think we now make what four thousand different kinds of cheese in the state, or right. some crazy thing. 
I mean, and that that really did happen because of the Dairy Business Innovation Center. I'm convinced because these these people with great ideas, you know, it's as you know, it takes so much more than a great idea to make this work. Well, I think two other things happened, Sarah. You know, kind of leading up almost to now. Number one, we people started to talk about local food mm-hmm. because we had the CBIC. We had a certain kind of structure that um, I, I, I think helped local food um, kind of get together um, in Wisconsin and kind of take off. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we had colleagues that kind of went to the local food side, um, but, you know, certainly then there were, you know, ways that, you know, not only the dairy was looking at value-added, but you know, so many other um, industries were starting to look at value added, whether they be diversified farms or, you know, certain kinds of uh, cold oil presses or, you know, um, more and more of the small farms, you know, in conjunction with a lot of things that were happening with organic, the small farms, you know, thinking about uh, what they could do and mm-hmm. how they could be part of distribution networks and all that kind of good stuff. But I think the other thing that has happened and, you know, I've been fortunate enough to remain part of it is that uh, I've seen other states not pick up the DBIC model, but um, get chunks of it or understand that if someone uh, is interested in value-added, um, they have to be DBIC-like and do due diligence in order for them to be Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to be part of the American Cheese Society and serve as their business strategist and resident for the last five years and, and work with those kinds of folks. And, you know, in, in some, uh, some manner and form, I think help them slow down a little bit or you know, think through different kinds of things that they may want to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's led now to the All Jersey Association. Uh, they're going to do their second workshop on value added for Jersey farmers. And um, I was in Pennsylvania last week, and you know, for the sixth year in a row, there's a, a value added uh, cheesemakers workshop that does a really brilliant job for kind of East Coast folks. And, you know, they have a lot of those kinds of things popping up all over the place. Sure. And and, and I think that you know what what that lends to too is having a community that then when tough issues come up, mm-hmm. and tough issues do come up in, in in food, especially things like food safety and finance and, and, and all, I think that the, the community can, because they've been working together for so long, can deal with some of those things um, easier. And I think that just, just watching how the, the, the food safety regulations are starting to come together for uh, small and mid-sized cheesemakers, it's not an easy thing, but they're finally coming together, and I think that um, there's a lot of people, a lot of great people that are working on that. Yeah, and I, you know, I like to tell people it actually is true that people can die from bad food, and so in the end, it's good for everybody, and it does it does instill discipline in the in the making of food to have QA right. process, which is not bad. And I think we can, uh, in Wisconsin, also be proud of the fact that we've got a Center for Dairy Research. Oh, absolutely. Ahead of that. And, 
Um, Renee May, who for years and years and years was uh, part of the UW River Falls uh, campus work, uh, she, she did a lot of the writing for the American Cheese Society guidelines. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of really good folks that help out companies at the large level, at the small level, and it all benefits consumers. So one of the things that you and I talk about a lot when we manage to carve out time to talk to each other um, is is that the work that you do, well, we should probably back up and just talk about the work that you do as a value-added producer grant writer, because that really puts you right in the middle of these projects on farms that are starting to do value-added consumer products or other kinds of value-added activities on their farms? So it's interesting is that I've come to say to most people that I'm a a value-added business strategist versus Mm -hmm. a grant writer. Yeah, because you definitely do way more than that. Yeah, I I like um, having a relationship with someone before I start writing a grant, uh, understanding what they're doing, how they're doing it, understand the you know, kind of the thought process behind what's going on because most of the grants that I help write are pretty complex. And so to understand some of the ways they do things and then to have series of conversations and being able to go to their um, their farm a number of times or uh, go with them to certain kinds of training events or conferences or, or that kind of stuff, um, you know, it's kind of um, being the the in the background, watching and guiding some of that due diligence. I think then um, helps me be a better writer, writer in period, as in business plans things like that. But grant then grant writer for the money for them um, because I can tell the story better. And you know, you, you do you know a certain amount of the. Um, of, of the business planning, I think the difference between when I do a, a feasibility study or a business plan and, and then a grant is in a grant, I'm, I'm really telling more of the story, mm. um, and, and how the, you know, the genesis of the idea and how that idea has worked through one or two or four generations sometimes and, you know, how, you know, sometimes it's taken a, you know, a devastating loss to, for, you know, a, a family to say, you know, you know, it's time that we do X or Y or Z. And then, you know, it's a determined couple and their, you know, 20-something children that join them to, to then, you know, create a really nice enterprise. And then work with them, too. And I love working with them. Mm. Uh, working with the deep generation basically say, you know, what is it that you want to do and how you want to do it. Right. I, I, and Tara, you know uh, the, the head of Singer, um, Ari Weisberg. Mm-hmm. He's, he's brilliant in the way he's written some of his business strategy books. Right. And I borrowed one from him where the long-term vision um, needs to be 15 years down the line. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Really good for farms, right? Yeah, and because in that way, I can look at that younger generation who right now could be 16 or 18 or 25 or 30, and I can point out and go, 
you in 15 years of running this farm. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking not only to mom and dad, I'm talking to you folks too. And it really does engage the whole family. Very, very good. That, and then, you know, 10 years isn't enough. 15 years is a really good time frame. Yeah. So and- I thank Ari for that. And, and, you know, I think one of the things that is so unique about what you do in that regard is that there are farm programs for farm transition these days that address kind of, or they, they attempt to address the family dynamics issues and estate planning things, but they're disconnected from the business strategy, which for the farm, which in order for the farm to generate sufficient cash flow to even have a transition, it needs to have a value-added component to it. So now suddenly you need this business plan for a value-added enterprise that's on the farm on top of the fact that the family has to talk to each other about estate planning. And you know what I mean? And, And I... Honestly, you are the only one I know who does that kind of work. I I do it occasionally, but I I'm not taking clients right now much anymore because I'm doing so much training. So, it it's and it is a national need. I mean, I travel all over the country, and and this issue of how we're going to transition these farms and getting the technical assistance they need is ubiquitous. Right. So you take a a, a great venture like Kelly Country Creamery outside of um, Fort Atkinson. And, you know, it was kind of mom and dad's project at the beginning with, um, the, you know, the 20-something kids sort of, you know, understanding that they were going to be part of it. But now it is fully, fully, fully. Um, you know, Karen uh, Kelly started it with her daughters at the creamery that are running it together, and they are partners. Yeah. So wonderful to see something like that. But that's a, you know, that's a six, seven, eight year transformation where they learn, you know, what their, how their skills connect together and who is the one that is, you know, now basically the human resource person Mm -hmm. or who is the face of the company or, you know, that kind of thing. You know, I think you know, almost like in any family business, you have to be patient with yourself. Mm-hmm. One of the things about these high value added farm enterprises that makes it complicated is the money. And it's complicated because the farm itself has its own financial stuff, and the relationships for that farm are probably with ag lenders, right? Because that's who is the financier for farm enterprises and then they come and they want to do a cheese plant on the farm and these these farm enterprise finance people look at this and go I don't really know anything about making cheese and I don't know if they do either and so this is scary and I'm not going to be involved right I think I need some exceptional bankers I'm and sure under, yeah understanding that um, this is what has to happen is the, the value added and they work hard to understand how this works. Mm-hmm. But then, and especially as, you know, you, you, you came out of the 2010, 11, 12, you know, banking crises and, and, and things like that, I think you also have some by-the-book type folks that really uh, say, okay, all your equity is over on the farm side and you can 
by you can't use that equity to start the cheese plant or to right, you know, right. X, Y, and Z. And and I, I don't necessarily see you know all the all the innovation that, that you can. It, it it is changing. It will continue to change. It has to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know it's it's one where again you know provide good documents if you are a um, you know a farmer that wants to get into this. And then, you know, also don't be afraid to look around and um, find a, a bank, a financial institution, or some kind of arrangement that makes sense to you. Right, right. And I think you bring up a really key point, which is um, the way to help financial people may um, feel comfortable with a deal is all about how you document it. And that is so... You know, entrepreneurs who just want to get up and go, right? And farmers are like that too. You know, I work hard; that's enough, or whatever. It, it, you, you have to tell this story and use the language that bankers and financial people are used to seeing, right? In order to get them to say yes. Right. So anything that we could do, and and you know, you've done some marvelous things in you know taking me and, and some other folks, extension agents and such. And training us, um, you know, the, the, the Paul Dittmans of the world um, that are helping out on the farm side and, you know, working with value-added entrepreneurs. Anything that we can do to continue that process is all the good. Right, right. Because somehow we have a lot of farms that um, are going to, they need to transition in the next 10 years, right? And And their path is going to be this value-added path. And... And there's just not a lot of good resources out there. So, and I think people don't even really understand what the resources are they need, right? So part of this is the help getting things documented. And by documented, I mean financially documented, right? And business planning, the strategy work that you do, helping people get real about, you know, gee, if you make yogurt on the farm, who that who is going to buy it exactly and where are they, right? You do all that work when you work with people. Yeah, USDA program started in, I think, 2000. Um, I wrote my first VAPG in 2004 um, as part of DBIC and continue to write uh, a fair amount as a DBIC um, staff person. Would write three or four a year. Uh, I'd have a a number of the younger DBI peers um, helped me with with some of that. Um, you know, it was um, a yeah, it was a, it was a nice pot of money, but I always insisted that you know they had to be ready to get my taxpayer dollar. And boy, I still use that term a lot. Mm-hmm. One of my filters is are you can use taxpayer dollars correctly, and um, so. It's up to $250,000. All of a sudden, you know... Yeah, that's real money. Yeah, ding, 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 and there's fireworks flying off, and, oh, get me the $250,000. Wait a minute there. Let's, let's hold on. Let's see what your enterprise is doing and how it's doing. Um, because um, in order, there's, there's two types of VAPG program. Um, there's a planning grant program that helps you work with um, technical experts and business experts to write a business plan or a feasibility study or a marketing plan or work with accountants and lawyers or 
um, do the kinds of that due diligence that we've been talking about over a year period, um, even before um, you're putting product in the shelf. Mm-hmm. And I probably, of the 70 that I've written, I've probably written 10 to 12 of those planning grants. And those planning grants, even though they're um, $20,000, dollars $30,000, um, are just as valuable as those $250,000 grants because it has really opened up eyes for, wow, I thought I was going to be a milk bottler. Mm-hmm. And here I am figuring out that we really don't have a really good, this kind of cheese or a really good yogurt or, you know, a really good whatever it is, is, you know, better in the marketplace right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, and so then uh, the, the second one is what you do have product on the shelf is the working capital grant. And like I said, that's up to $250,000. I do warn people. I say that, you know, if you if you have sales of forty or $50,000, you can't ask for $250,000. Mm-hmm. That's just silly. You know, I try to have the rule of you need at least 200000 or $250,000 you can then grow, you're growing that company in order to ask for some of those bigger grants. Mm-hmm. You have to justify what you're doing. Right, uh, right. Because this can't grant, be the primary yeah. source of your financing. Oh, no, no. It's, it's a working capital, which means that you have, you know, you've gotten your, built your building, or you've got You have your equipment. You've got things, yeah, you've got things on the, uh, kind of getting going, but you, you're now realizing that, um, holy mackerel, um, it takes another two employees. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a, a you know a marketing effort that I had no idea how difficult this is. Mm-hmm. Distribution, wow, mm-hmm. that's a fair amount of money. I thought I was going to be able to sell it all in Madison. Guess what? I've got to go regionally, and I've got to get my my product to Chicago. I've got to get it to Milwaukee, or you know, I've got to get it almost coast to coast in some respect. So it's talking through, and USDA, um, you know, some people don't necessarily like the whole format because these completed proposals end up to be somewhere between 50 and 75 pages, but they ask great questions. They have Mm -hmm. great probing business questions. They want to know, in the next three years, what the expansion of your market's going to be. What's the baseline of your customers right now? And how are you going to specifically expand that market? Give me the trend. Tell me how you're going to do that. And so that ends up to be a, you know, a five or six or seven page analysis. And I end up working with the client thinking about what they've done so far, you know, uh, the, the kinds of things that make sense, don't make sense. I've had clients take surveys among their current, current customers if they're thinking about a new product. And, you know, is that, is that going to be a, a product that is going to be welcomed by those consumers? You know, that, it's really important. And attached to that expansion of the market, when you expand the market, are you actually going to make money doing it? Or is this going to be a product that you're going to be basically, you know, selling and, you know, making a quarter cent or even losing money? You have to be able to show that you can do that. They've got a, a, a four-part question, Tara, on 
Uh, they call it the nature of the proposed venture. And again, it, it's one where it makes somebody think about their business. So it's technological feasibility, operational efficiency, financial feasibility, and economic sustainability. And so in short, technical feasibility, what do you do? How do you do it? Are you doing it right? Are you being innovative? Um, all the kinds of things, whether you're in the field or in the factory, can you talk about the things that you do? Operational efficiency, whether you're in the field, um, in the factory, out selling your product, um, designing marketing, or running a business. Are you doing everything you can to be efficient with the money that you have? Are you being a good business person? Mm-hmm. Financial feasibility. Are, are, are you actually making money? And can you show through um, financials that there's, you know, the trend line is good, whether or not you've seen it before, you know, year three, knock on wood, you know, you're starting to either make money or at least break even. Can you show reasonable trend lines? That, you know, can you show on, on the way that you organize your financials that it does make sense? You know, the one that you talk about quite a bit is, is cash. Can you show that you've got cash flow mm-hmm. or are you for three or four months out of the year, you know, hanging by your fingernails saying, oh, God, I've got to right. get to farmer's market season because I can't pay anything. Yeah. yeah, the last one is economic sustainability. Um, can you make this company survive? Mm-hmm. What What are the keys to the surviving of this thing, whether it's great partnerships or innovation or you know the, the other kinds of things, how you define economic sustainability. So I find that those four questions, or the four parts of that one question, just brilliant. So it sounds to me, I mean, those are basically what you should be covering in a business plan, right? So it sounds to me like they're guy they're sort of nudging the, the applicant to give them their plan right without sending there, in a 80 yeah. page document right? right yeah but i think it's like i said before i think putting it in a way in now in that story form mm-hmm. so that you know this is this is my story from making sure that um i know how to make to i know how to make with a really good staff and I know how to market it well mm-hmm. to, um, you know, I'm, I'm sharpening my pencil, you know, at, at the end of every month and make sure that, you know, the numbers work to, you know, every uh, other year, I'm going to have a product out, capture the attention of uh, the community or that I am absolutely dedicated in, you know, getting some kind of award because I know that awards, awards really do sustain Companies, I've seen it before. It allows, um, whether it's the, the, the uh, applicant themselves or the applicant and the grant writer working together, it allows a really great story to come out. And mm-hmm. what I like to share is I work with my, the people I work with and then the clients to put everything together in a Dropbox mm-hmm. so that then they have all the drafts and all the um, the research and everything else that we've been working on, they have that so that they can then take that and then if they're intellectual property, 
they can write other grants if they want. Right. Or if they want to come back to me and, you know, um, ask some other questions, I'll go, well, what, where, what did your work plan say? Well, I don't have it. No, you do have it. Mm-hmm. That kind of organization. Yeah, yeah. So, could you share an example of a, a of of a maybe a client if it doesn't breach confidentiality or story of somebody like you did a early planning grant with, and then you came back and they did a full grant and kind of where they're at now that full arc? Because I bet you work with people over a very long period of time. Um, no, but but that that's fine too because then they become great friends. Of course, yeah, you know, no, it's awesome. Friends, right now, are I say they're my clients, so they're my friends who we're happen to work together on some projects. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned the Kelly family before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they got a, a small planning grant um, to look at on-farm ice cream. Were they a dairy uh, farm at the time? Mm-hmm. So, 2009, seven generations farm. Oh my goodness. And just absolutely, if they can tell you about every generation, they had pictures of every generation. Mm-hmm. You know, we were working with them within PBIC, and then we were able to get um, some of this, some of these funds uh, from from the VAPG. Um, you know, one of the things that happened with those VAPG funds is that we were able to write a, a feasibility uh, study. And that feasibility study in the business plan really, I think, helped uh, with, uh, you know, they were in Fond du Lac County. Mm-hmm. And then um, at the time, there was a, um, a, a, a commerce program that, um, because the way we wrote those were instrumental in then, you know, getting some low interest loans for them. Right. It really helped, not only helped them, you know, think about the way they did things, but also shared those concepts. And I remember having a, a conversation with one gentleman, and he said, you know, we really can't do an analysis because this is an ice cream, farmstead ice cream thing, and, you know, how can we even try to, you know, estimate how much this is going to make? I said, well, turn to page 14. Right. Let's take a look at it. This was my best guess at it mm-hmm. uh, that Karen and I had put together. Uh, Karen Kelly, and he says, you know, I, I, I can believe this. All mm-hmm. right, this makes sense. And so there was some new kind of interesting things that came Right, out the that. aha moments that you yeah, can create yeah, by just documenting. Things. Right. And yeah. there were, you know, uh, obvious ahas because here was a, here was a, uh, a venture that was going to sell most of its product between Memorial Day and, you know, um, uh, Labor Day was shoulder season, the spring and the fall. Right. And how do you, you know, put that, put that together so it makes sense? That was the still one. If, you know, I can remember that. So, that, um, that so plan. did they? Do they? Did they go on to do ice cream? So they went on to do ice cream. Okay. Uh, they they got a number of you know, the, the sides of the bank and a number of different low interest loans. Um, they did get the the larger CAPG two hundred fifty thousand. Okay. Um, and they end up ended up putting it on Highway D, just south, just off of Forty One, just south of Fond du Lac. And they're, they're, they love telling the story uh, about two or three weeks after they opened up, and they had lines 
of, you know, 20, 30 people. Oh, my goodness. And one guy, one guy, very loud, says, how come everybody's here getting ice cream at this place that's in the middle of nowhere? And I, I remember one of the daughters saying, how come you're here getting ice cream? In the, the middle of nowhere, yeah. Uh, because it's such great quality. He's, you know, he, he, he's a non-homogenized mm. uh, ice cream, great flavors, and, you know, the, the, a great family business, but a, a dedication to the quality that was recognized in 2011 as Good Morning America's Ice Cream Parlor of the Year. Oh, my goodness. Well, that'll help where publicity helps, right? Well, yes and no, because, and I've had this happen in a number of clients that I've had, is that uh, Karen called me the week after. What do you do with 600 emails? Oh, right, exactly. And um, LeClaire Farm found the same thing when they won a national prize. Chris Raleigh found the same thing when mm-hmm. he got a national prize. Is that, you know, in some ways, um, success has to also, especially if success is thrust on you, um, you got to stop and then you got to plan. Right. And, and, and most of the, the one thing I, I think I hear from folks on that is take care of the folks that have been supporting you all along, mm-hmm. the distributors and, and other kinds of folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Karen now has a business, and this is, you know, eight years later, nine years later, um, she has either, I don't know, four or five full-time employees. She's got 25 seasonal employees. Oh, my goodness. Shut um, down her plant in... January and February, so she can go to conferences, she mm-hmm. can plan, and she can make sure that everything's ready for the next season. She's the ice cream provider for the EAA. Oh, perfect. Uh, and so has a, um, a really nice way that, you know, she's, uh, she does that. She does weddings now. Mm. She does some really unique things with weddings. So it, it, it is. It's a great story for that, that, that small agricultural business that I would, I think I'd rather have that kind of story sometimes than, you know, an out-of-state company moving in with 50 people mm-hmm. and then just don't know whether or not they're going to stay. Right. Home don't. They're not, after seven generations on that farm, they're not going to leave. Right. They're not going anywhere. And this is the yeah. vehicle to get their kids into the farm. Yep, and, and, and you know, I, I saw Karen and, and her husband, Tim, uh, in the fall, and they invited me over to say, we got a couple more ideas. Stop Uh-oh. You're in the area. And so we just talked about it because, you know, it's the, it's, it's the next child that wants to, you know, think about something mm. you know, that's going to be attached to a farm. Mm-hmm. So we have some discussions on that. So, you know, the entrepreneurs, our entrepreneurs, our right. serial entrepreneurs, and um, you know she passed that down, you know, very positive, you know, to their children. You know, Tara, I've got four or five, four hours. So, That's amazing. It's amazing. I really have had the pleasure to work with really, really wonderful people. Um, right, Mark, you know, Mark Bernard outside of Chicago, the the Hedrick family. Um, in Pipe, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, Cato Corner Farm in Connecticut. The uh, Rogue Creamery in 
um, in Oregon. Um, just some really, really great folks that are, you know, in their own way, you know, this, this grant, whether it's a hundred thousand dollars or $250,000, you know, has been some at, at really the right time for mm-hmm. them, you know, to transform their business. And as, as one person said to me, this really cut out, you know, having 200, I think he had, his grant was about 210,000. It took me about, put me about a year, year and a half ahead of time to where mm-hmm. I thought I was going to be. Right. But, you know, in that extent, there's a lot of confidence, you know, that kind of thing, uh, so that you can do other things. That you do. Right. So you work with people and you help them get the get the grants. And then do you stay on? Do they have you come? It sounds like they're having you come back and do some consulting afterwards. So what I do, and I've got to figure out whether or not USDA is going to be illegal doing this because they have some crazy conflict of interest rules that I think they're, they're trying to uh, put in place for, for the next round. Mm-hmm. I write as part of my contract that they get a half a day of my time quarter to help them implement their grant. Mm. Because I work with them um, writing the grant under a confidential disclosure agreement. Sure. So they've been able to share some things that they haven't shared with with most people, mm-hmm. well, it kind of makes sense to then, right. you know, have me around to, to do that. Now, is, is, is there some transition to someone else? There might be, but having me around, mm-hmm. help, you know, folks that are uh, kind of on the startup. Right. Right. So do you, if we wanted to have more, so if you're king for the day, Jim, and um, and I came to you and said, I really want to have more of these farms transition. Uh, and, uh, you know, not just here, but all over the country. What do you think we ought to do to make that happen? I think part of it, Sarah, is um, to, to realize that uh, you don't have to have a $250,000 grant. Mm-hmm. Out of it. I think um, maybe, it, 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 and I'll go back kind of to the, the DBIC approach, it may be what are those three or four things that you, you know, new diversified farm, or uh, you growing ancient grains and, and beans organically on 1,800 acres, what are those two or three things that are really going to be really important for your business? And just talk those through and have them do some, you know, some self-guided research or some other kinds of things, and then work on the next one until they're ready to say, okay, I think now I'm ready to go, and let's let's now write the business plan. I think that um, a lot of times in Pennsylvania, people get antsy about, all right, you know, I I better do it now because, you know, I see the belt futures, and they're dropping like a, a rock, and so... You know, I better, I, I gotta get done now. I gotta get done now. I gotta get done now. Um, you know, there can be a little bit of a hate to make space in there too. Make sure that you're ready for it. And, and, and certainly one of the things that I see more than anything is make sure that you're ready and you understand the market you're getting yourself into. And you've talked about that quite a bit. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, I was just at a, at an event in a really rural community in Wisconsin and there were some, you know, farmstead producer people there and 
And, you know, a lot of people were obviously saying to them, you know, you got to do some market research because they were going to, you know, sell jam by the thousands locally. Right. And and um, it's just an interesting it's an interesting thing. Right. Where local food is everywhere and everybody wants it to be everywhere, except that there aren't enough people to make a business work everywhere, you know? You know, part part of what I like to do, you know, kind of my own rule, take a look at those market channels, and you know, they could be a, they could be stores, they could be events, they could be um, a a university, they could be a hospital, whatever. Is okay. I can't do a market assessment and collect information and analyze it the same for each market channel. Mm -hmm. That's impossible. Right. And so, right. talk to some someone who has done some of these things before. Um, say, say you're looking at universities as a market channel for you know some kind of cheese or yogurt or bottled milk or something. You know, one of the first things that I would do is say, you know, is there a commitment by this university to buy local food? Mm-hmm. Do they have that as part of their strategic plan? Are they buying you know local foods right now? Um, you know, do they indicate that they're they're doing that? Do they have a farmer's market on campus? Do they, you know, what what are the other kinds of things that they're doing that, that make, might make some sense? And that gives you, a lot of times you'll then ferret out a name, or, you know, you'll be able to, to kind of figure out a little bit about um, where you can start to ask some questions so it, it, and then start to make some estimates about, whether or not I can sell, you know, two cups of yogurt or 200,000 cups of yogurt mm-hmm. for, the, for the students of, the, you know, the University of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I do think, you know, there, there are more and more different alternative avenues. And I think there's a lot of optimism about um, what, you know, what, and there's a big gap between the optimism and what customers are actually doing. You know what I mean? Institutions so in particular. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll share one story with um, one farmer I've been working with recently that, that does some, some grains and dried beans um, has has done some farmers markets before, and um, I said, well, you know, I talked to the people at Wisconsin Cranberry Fest and having a booth there and what it means and everything else, and um, I asked. You know, I knew how to ask the right question to that person, and so I reported back to, to my client, and you know the, the kinds of numbers that uh, this woman and I were talking about. And his response was, "That sounds like it's about a hundred uh, farmers markets that I could avoid going." Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. How about that? Thinking, yeah, thinking about things differently. Right. And, and, and now with that too, Tara, if you are smart in the way you do um, uh, some of the social uh, media, mm-hmm. and you start to put two weeks ahead of time um, that we're going to be at the Wisconsin Cranberry Fest and we're going to do X and Y and Z, and here's the booth we're going to be at. And if you come and um, buy this from us, we'll, we'll or say the magic word, I don't know what. Right. um, You engage that. You know the folks that are going to come. That that you know 
I don't have the, the, the quantitative numbers, but I'm hoping to get some um, with some of the people I'm working with. I think that's going to make a difference also. Yeah. Some of the small parts. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm so glad you mentioned quantifying social media because I think one of the things that I see, and this is not just farms, this is anybody in food, right? This pressure they feel to be on social media, right? And get likes and all this stuff. And in the meantime, they're not willing to spend time demoing in a store or, you know what I mean? Like, you, it's not social media without a tie to something is not actionable. And and but, but, what but you're that, describing is is taking social media, making it actionable. So come and see me at this thing, and I'll give you a discount if you say the magic word or whatever. You suddenly made a passive vehicle actionable, and that, you know, getting strategies out there and measuring their impact could be really impactful. So I, I'm not going to say anything yet, but hold on. We made another. Uh, another section together at some point. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cause I, I, it's ubiquitous. I mean, there's, there's a lot of spaghetti being thrown against the social media wall at the moment. And, and I think that there is a, a, a lot of kind of uh, people writing articles and there's, you know, a lot of email that you get on it and all the, you know, under the guise of, you know, saying that this is research and for, Small value-added agricultural enterprises. You know what does it do? I, you know, I, I want to pin it down to this sector. How does it affect this sector? Mm-hmm. How, how would it, you know, make Karen Kelly at Kelly Country Creamery, um, you know, better? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what are they doing? Um, so, so I think there's some, there's some things that will happen. We'll, we'll just have to see. Yeah, no, and and having somebody like you who's used to the um, discipline and rigor of measuring stuff is fantastic to have you working on it because you will bring that lens to this, right? And it's it's definitely needed. So can I change subjects on you? Absolutely. So I've, I've had the pleasure to write a few more small business innovative research grants uh-huh. lately. Okay. And, and uh, versus the grants like a VAPG that are directly for business, these are ones that are more for research. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the money is directed for um, a for a firm it, 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 and for a small firm. Okay. Small business. So it, it, it can perfect. Be a, yeah, it can be a. Uh, it, and I'll just use the example that we know. You know, a, a, um, a corn breeder mm-hmm. that is doing spectacular, transformative things that, um, you know, may end up then um, having either um, less or no certain chemicals added to the feed in the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Or, you know, a high-protein corn that is better for dairy cattle and, and in poultry and such. And, uh, you know, doing those kinds of exercises uh, this last year has kind of pushed me to ask some of the really, really bright people that I know in some of these small businesses. I want, I'm thinking of the one gentleman that is here in in, uh, the Madison area 
that really helped the cheese industry. And I said to him, I want the next best thing. I want something transformative. Mm-hmm. I'll help you write that brand. But, um, you know, you are such a great thinker. How can we get you money, the money so that you can do some of these things, be a thinker in that way, and then help this group that is working together on, you know, some kind of eating facility or working with this group that has right now has an eight-month age cheese and he can transform it into a five-month age cheese and then have all, you know, all that time is money being able to be, to be saved. Or, you know, another person that uh, was a colleague of ours in DBIC that is now in California at Cal Poly, looking at different kinds of sensor systems around the, the cheese vat. I mean, there's, there's some, it doesn't have to be technology beyond technology, but sometimes simple ideas can be transformative. Right. And, and it's time to get those. Right. And I know you, you've got a passion. Yeah, no, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think as, as it applies to both food and agriculture, I think right now it, it is time for this kind of innovation to happen in our sector right i think i think people think of food and ag as kind of old and backwards right and and then i think that organic agriculture in a way has shot itself in the foot by kind of portraying the only good agriculture as kind of old agriculture right old systems and um and and it, while we there's definitely a lot of wisdom in the old systems, imagine a future where we could take some of that and and then deploy some technology in a good way, right? So I I'm really glad that you brought that up because it sounds like you're using your, you know those those R and D grants as an opportunity to have conversations with people about that. Well, Terry, it's fun to, for me too is that now I'm back to that almost academic mode again. Uh, I kind of uh-huh. like that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of fun for me, you know, to, to, to jump out of that business piece. And, but yet again, because these SBIRs say it's a research product, project, but whether it's USDA or the National Science Foundation or some of the other uh, government programs, that, um, that give these SBIRs, they want to know that this research is going to be commercialized. Right, right. Right, right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. We want to know who's your advisory board. We want to know your five-year, just in a paragraph, your five-year kind of plan on how this you know, research um, comes into that some kind of a product. Mm-hmm. Whether or not there are um, you know, there's a competitive notion to this. You know, do a back of the envelope. How much is this thing worth? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you try to uh, get a guide the world researcher to tell you how much their research is worth. <laughs> and boy, you, <laughs> you get some interesting answers. I mean, God bless them. That they're, they're not, you know, financial people. They don't have MBAs. Right. So part of it is just, that it's an educational part of things too, but you know, part of that, I, I think, you know, not that I don't enjoy doing things like BPGs and helping businesses, but that part of it too. That's what's gonna, I think, keep ratcheting things up. 
Well, yeah, and I think the the best people to understand how technology could be applied to, say, agriculture are people who understand agriculture, right? I, I, and so, you know, value-added agriculture in our heads right now is always, it seems to go in the direction of either either agritourism things on the farm or making a food products on the farm. But what if it was deploying technology on or developing it? Like the kid is this, is the software genius who came up with this software for remote sensing of something. And that's how they transfer the farm. You know what I mean? It could right. be way different. Well, and I'll, I'll use one example is there's a uh, Great Lakes alfalfa up in the northern part of the state does some unique things with drying alfalfa. But the research innovation part is the, the entrepreneur for that uh, company loves to think about who is going to be eating his alfalfa. Mm. Is it going to be the chicken or the turkey? Or right. The or the cow or, cow or, yeah. Or, or the, uh, you know, the calf that's getting done with its lactation. And so how can I have alfalfa products now that are with, you know, beet tops and beet bottoms to add energy hmm. or with cranberries that can, you know, somehow add antioxidants mm-hmm. or can do whatever that is, you know, and how can I put together a team of nutritionists and, you know, the systems people and everything else to make this happen? I think that he's already thinking about it and, Man, he's got me torched up to, you know, to work with him <laughs> over the next year or two or five or whatever as he thinks about things. Yeah, it's yeah. It's kind of fun. Yeah. yeah, well, that's awesome. That is the kind of creative pushing the envelope thinking that is going to be needed. I mean, we have we have more and more variability in, in climate, right? And you can disagree about where it's coming from, but nobody, I don't think, disagrees with the degree of variability. And and that's going to, it's going to need different solutions, different technological solutions for agriculture. And I will say that I've met some just really, really good folks that are doing some, some of the alternative kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I again, this is, the one for agriculture yesterday is coming out probably in two to three months. I just I just finished my round of of value added producer grants, but you know, in the next month or two I'm giving a lot of folks all and saying, Let's not miss a chance. It's time for you to jump into one of these things. Yeah. Um, you know Eric Carlson from mm-hmm. Farm. Um, grows organic blueberries and apples and right, um, right. other kinds of things. He's a brilliant plant pathologist. Mm-hmm. Really does understand systems, and you know, to capture um, before Eric retires, and he threatens to do it. I think probably every year before he retires. Oh uh, yeah, you know, right. Good stuff that he's done, and have him, you know, have him think more and more about that. That would be great for a, a whole range of fruit growers, you mm-hmm. know, in this state and. You know, in the Midwest. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So we are so lucky to have somebody like you who um, kind of keeps his eye on the universe of opportunities and connects people to them. It's it, We are super lucky to have you in this state. Well, I, <laughs> I don't think I'm going anywhere. Yeah. Here on the farm. I get it. I get it. And you have your own orchard on your farm to take care of, too. Yep. Yep. And I love, I love gardening. Like I said, we, we're redoing a kitchen right now um, so that we can prep a lot of stuff, you know, and put it in, you know, on the shelf and, you know, in the freezers. You know, I've got a lot of clients and a lot of friends who are in the food industry that I don't mind getting, you know, some kind of compensation, you know, getting. Right, paid in kind. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Dried cranberries or... Eric's blueberries or some meat or something, and you know to to taste some some great pasture fed pork, and you know understand how really really good it is. Mm-hmm. I know, I get it. It's just crazy good. Yep. So thank you so much for spending time with us today, sure. and I'm sure we'll be talking again sometime soon. we got to park it in the back of your head that you're going to come back on when you've got your data about social media and making it actionable, because I know a lot of people will be interested in that. We can do that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, you know, stay warm, stay off the icy roads, and I look forward to seeing you sometime soon. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.